Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horsebook authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horsebook. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horsebooks, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. Today I am so excited to have Michelle Holland on the show with me today. Hi Michelle. Hi everyone, thank you so much for inviting me. I've been really looking forward to tonight. Oh, that's so great. And it's so funny you're saying tonight because you are in England. I exactly. am I am here in Arizona. So for me, it's still, you know, it's lunchtime. So for you, oh. it's the evening. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny how this thing it works? Is. Yeah, it's very. <laughs> and how lucky are we that we can, you know, connect across continents this way over, you know, over, over technology. I think that's yeah. so cool. Technology has come on so much. It's just totally amazing what you can achieve with it these days. So that yeah. is true. We're very lucky. So before we get into the fun stuff, which are the interview questions, I'm going to read your bio just so people can have a little bit of background on you before we start the interview. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. So here we go. Michelle Holland lives in Brighton. Brighton is located on the south coast of England, positioned 47 miles south of London. She became passionate about pony rescue after taking on a neglected New Forest pony 24 years ago called Bella. After some hard work and understanding, Bella turned into a healthy and trusting pony. In 1995, Michelle opened her own sanctuary for New Forest Ponies and saved and rehomed over 57, 57 from slaughter over a five-year period. That's incredible. Also, Michelle is a fully qualified canine behaviorist practitioner. She loves helping dogs and their owners who are trying to deal with behavioral problems. She has published a book called The Adventures of Bella and Emily, which we're going to talk about today on the show, and has chosen to donate a portion of the proceeds to charity. She knows the hard work, heartache, and commitment that goes on behind the scenes, and that without the help, charities cannot continue to do the amazing work they do. So, Michelle, thank you for all of the wonderful contributions that you're making to the equestrian world, which leads us to the first question. You became passionate about pony rescue after taking on a neglected New Forest pony 24 years ago. Can you tell us about Bella and how you met her? Okay, well, uh, Bella was a New Forest pony that was going to the meat market. And I saw an advert uh, with someone saying, can you come and help? So I went up to see her. Cut a long story short, she was in a terrible, really, really bad state. Bought a home and with months and months of care, she turned into the most beautiful pony ever. Mm. So that's why the books were named Bella. Uh, but obviously later on from that when I set up the sanctuary uh, I rescued a pony called Chelsea uh, which alias Bella in the book so the main story is regarding Chelsea but the name is about another new forest I rescued as well which is it, it's it's so wonderful that that you rescued these these ponies and and then they became the inspiration for the the books that you write about which we'll, we'll talk about shortly here in the interview but I, I'm curious about you know, you opened your own sanctuary for, for New Forest Ponies. Tell us a little bit about the process of opening um, the sanctuary and, you know, what has been your, your proudest moment having, having take, undertaken that work? 
Okay, well, I, I kept hearing about the rumours about new forest ponies were being sent for slaughter, you know, across the water to Ireland. Uh, they were selling at two guineas, three guineas for slaughter for the zoos and the hunts at the time. I think the Daily Mail did an article as well, which was heartbreaking. So suddenly one day I just woke up and thought, I need to set up a, a, a rescue sanctuary for these ponies. I need to save some. So I had no land, no money, nothing. So one day I decided to go down uh, my local high street and said, look, this is what I want to do. I need a thousand pound pledged uh, for me to set up this sanctuary. And I need your backing because you're local, you're, you know, local businesses, we can all work together. And at the end of the day, I had over one thousand pound pledged. So from there, it was trying to find some land, which was my biggest obstacle. Mm -hmm. I came across a, a place that was about two miles from me with eight acres of land and a tea room. And I thought I could picture I could picture everything in my head. So I asked for a meeting with the owner and I said, hey, you know, Peter, I did, this is what I intend to do. He, his words were, oh, I've seen a lot of horsey people like you. Uh, how do I know you're going to keep your word? Mm. I said, well, I can only prove that to you. Give me a chance. And not only will I be rescuing ponies, but obviously I'll be bringing business in for you with your business and your tea rooms. And from that day onwards, we never looked back. So it was just amazing. We used to do open days. Uh, I had to raise probably between 60 and 80,000 pounds a year to keep it going. It was all totally voluntary. Wow. But the main drive was seeing those foals or the mares that you rescue from the centre, bringing them home, nursing them, and then giving them a forever home. So, so that is, you know, such a huge contribution and, and so amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the New Forest Pony? And you know, I, so, it, for for people that may not know about the breed and and uh, why, why so many of them were in, in the situation that they needed, they needed help? And why, why were okay. they being slaughtered? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, at the time, obviously things may have changed over the years, but at the time there was so much overbreeding going on within the new forest uh, and the little foals, you know, no one wanted to take them on, mainly the colts because the, the price of getting them gelded mm -hmm. and that sort of thing was just beyond someone taking on a four-year commitment before they could do anything with, with the pony. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's what happened. They'd go to the local hunts, they were getting shipped to Ireland for meat, uh, pet food. It was just horrific. And the first time I went down there, it was, it was just truly heartbreaking. And the overbreeding, that is a human caused problem. Exactly. There should, you know, we need to be responsible about what we're doing with breeding animals and, yeah. and you know, so we don't create situations like this. Would you agree yeah. with that? Uh, totally. And the thing is with the, um, <clears throat> the new forest ponies, they're, they're so hardy, they're so tough, they're so loyal, they're so reliable. Mm. Uh, they can live out 24, you know, seven. It's, they're just incredible ponies. Uh, but I just felt they deserved a chance. So, well, that's wonderful, and I'm I'm so happy to hear that. And obviously, you have a deep connection to these ponies. But not only that, but you have a, a deep connection to a, a lot of animals. You are a um, you also work with dogs. You are a fully yes. qualified mm -hmm. canine behaviorist practitioner. Can you yep. tell us a little bit about about this work and and the work that you do with dogs? And then, do you apply any of what you've learned through dogs to to the horses in your life? 
Yeah, I mean, the story started when I rescued uh, a six-month-old Border Collie from the local rescue centre. And they were showing <clears throat> different signs of anxiety whilst in there. Uh, but we seemed to have a connection. So I brought him home, and no word of a lie, I've been kicked by horses, been bitten by horses, but never been bitten so badly by a dog oh, like this dog bit me. Uh, he'd been shut in a kitchen badly abused and had half his tail chopped off oh my so i had different behaviors in one gave him an asbo saying there's nothing you can do with him went to the vet and said look can you try and get something to help calm him down and he actually said well i think he should be put to sleep today mm. and i was mortified and i came out of the vets and then all of a sudden i started getting these different pictures in my head like what had happened to him and he was asking me to listen to him Mm -hmm. so for instance I couldn't hoover without him attacking me mm -hmm. so I made him sleep next to the hoover I couldn't use the printer every time I turned I'd got another bite oh my goodness and I worked with him I couldn't even put him in the car without him wetted himself so the pictures came through that he'd had his tail chopped off in a car so mm -hmm. I used to put plastic plates up get him in there calm and take him you know 50 yards up the road get mm -hmm. him out fill the plates up, come back. Uh, and that's how I started with the, the psychology of, of dogs. And actually, um, he actually wrote his own book as well, Inside <laughs> a Dog's Mind, Jacob. And he actually tells the story from his point of view. So hopefully humans can connect with how dogs see things rather than how we humans think they see things. So this is written by him. Oh. That is so sweet. And how did his story wind up? I, I, and so I imagine you got your certification uh, because of this dog. And, and tell, yeah. us, tell us his name and, and how did his story end up going? Okay, he's called Jasper. And now he's seven years old, eight years old in uh, February. Mm -hmm. He's the most needy dog in the world for cuddles. Loves <laughs> everyone all the time. Uh, thinks he's a lap dog. So he'll literally, if I'm on the beanbag, he'll sit on top of me. Uh, <laughs> But to be honest, he's helped me help so many other dogs by listening to what the dog is trying to tell the owner. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times, if someone's got a problem with a rescue dog, I'll just go out there and spend time with the dog and the owner and recon reconnect them. And, and that is just an amazing, amazing thing to do, which I really, really are passionate about. And that that's really beautiful and and you and you gave this this dog another opportunity and now and you totally transformed his life because you had patience and you listened yep. and and i also think that this is a lesson for you know for humans like often humans act out because of what's going on for them and what has happened to them in their past and i think it's the same with animals so animals are our teachers in in a lot of ways how we can be with with our human friends too yep. right yeah, I mean, I think, I think the thing is that animals do pick up on your feelings. So if you're mm. having a bad time, they know that, you know, with a dog, if it's not walking properly on a lead or it's pulling the owner, it's anxious, you know, so they need to relax and calm down and, and feed that really lovely energy down to their dogs, which mm. does help. And, you know, so I go and see people and say, oh, I'm frightened he's going to bite someone, you know, well, we're out. And I said, but you, if you calm down and relax and get him focused on you, do a lot of watch games so you get the eye connection, then you will really build up a, a tremendous uh, connection. And it works with horses too. 
Absolutely. That is so, so beautiful. And, and thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing with both horses and, and dogs, which, which, you know, you just told us about inside of a dog which, or inside of a dog, right? And, um, yep. and that book, which is on your website, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But um, tell us more. Tell us about, about your other books. I would, you know, readers or okay. listeners would love to hear about your, your books. Well, this is the one that we've got, The Adventures of Bella and Emily. Mm. Now, this is the one uh, where uh, Emily longs for a pony. Her parents think she's, you know, not ready to own a pony. So they say, prove it to me. So she's quite a determined character in the book. So she goes out, does the paper round, takes a job at the local riding school and falls in love with a rescue pony that has issues. Mm. And then the story of the adventures of Bella and Emily continue because obviously it's not the ideal pony for her, but over a period of time, they listen to each other and they build up the trust and connection. Uh, so that's how the first book starts. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's a series. Can you tell us about the other, the other books in the series that follow, yeah. follow, follow her adventures? Yeah. Okay. The Adventures of Bella and Emily in Devon is the second in the series. They actually go and stay with Emily's Auntie Pam in Devon and uh, she's got a rescue centre. So the rescue missions start and obviously Emily gets involved. Uh, Auntie Pam's got a couple of wild mares. So it's down to Emily to do a bit of horse whispering while she's there as well. And that's where the story of the original rescue of Bella is fed into this book. Mm. Uh, there were four foals trapped in a horrible, deep, mudded barn, neglected, and they had to go in and rescue them. So a lot of the rescue that I went through myself, I've actually fed throughout the books in different stories. So people can appreciate the hard work that goes on with rescues. Yes, and, and thank you for shining a, a spotlight on, on that and, what, and the hard work that does go into and how valuable it is to participate in these uh, rescue foundations. Yeah. So, so these are, what, what is the, audio, the age group for your books? These are, are these children's books? Or? Yeah, probably from seven upwards. But to be honest, I've had so many adults that have read the whole set and they just love them. They've actually bought them as a present for their daughter or their son, but they've actually read them first. So um, all age groups. That's wonderful. And, you know, it's like uh, horse books. We, we love our horse books. And, we certainly you know, do. I know. I, I love to read all age horse books because, the, you know, and the message that you're delivering to, to young people, too, is, is really fantastic. You're educating them about yeah. the importance of, of being responsible and, and taking care of, of animals. Which leads me into, you know, is there a message in your books that you hope readers will, will grasp? I think I'm trying to get the message through that even whether it's a rescue dog or a rescue pony, every animal deserves a chance. And with time, patience and TLC, you can build up the most trusting and amazing connection with any animal if you give it 100%. And it's, it's a possibility. It happens. I've been through it myself. It works. Um, and so many people say, oh, it's a rescue, it's got issues, I haven't got time, I can't be bothered. Well, every animal's got feelings, so why don't they deserve a chance? That is totally, totally right. And, and what I love also about what you're doing with your books is you donate a percentage of your profit from the sales of your books to charitable organizations. Can you tell yep. us about your decision to do that and, and, and where the money 
or what organizations you're supporting? Okay. Well, I suffer with fibromyalgia, which I've had for eight years. I also work full time, mm -hmm. so I can't be as much hands on as I used to be. I could go riding once or twice a year, but probably not more than that because my body can't take it. So I thought, well, if I can put all my stories into a book and then people and my readers can enjoy feeling like they're in the story with me, and then for me to donate 50% of all profits to five different rescue organizations with the adventures of Bella and Emily, then I feel like I would be giving something back. So I chose my five rescues, which were to start with, um, it's the Brook for working donkeys, horses mm -hmm. and donkeys abroad, which are, do an amazing job. Uh, the Horse World Trust up in Bristol, which I go to their, them yearly and do a book signing. And it's just amazing to see the young kids coming back. So, oh my God, this is another book. Uh, Helping Paws is one that... Uh, you know, sort of helps animals all over the world. You know, I was in Cyprus on holiday, found a donkey that was being abused. So we jumped in, we helped that. You know, it's, it's everything we can do to help any animal in need. Mm -hmm. The other one is uh, Lionster Horse and Pony Rescue, which are over in uh, Lionster in Ireland. Uh, and they really do have a hard time over there. So they really deserve every penny we can get. And the final one is called the Animal Treat Rescue, which is over in Kent. And they rescue everything from horses, ponies, donkeys, pigs, ducks, you name an animal and they have got it there and they live there for the rest of their lives. And they're all, you know, apart from Brooke, who are quite international, the other four are very small organizations. Uh, so sometimes the smaller ones get overlooked. Mm -hmm. That's that's such a beautiful contribution that you're making. And, and readers can feel really good about purchasing your books as well because they're making a contribution by, exactly. by supporting you as an author and buying your yeah. and buying your books. So I will link to all those organizations in your show notes. So Thank if you. people would like to make a contribution, they can do so too, or they can purchase your books and, and know that they're making a difference there. That's great. So I'm really interested in in uh you know at, this is an opportunity for authors to share their knowledge and, and and to hear from other authors that are doing things that i think they you know i myself as an author or other authors might like to do i was really interested in how does the process of of getting the money uh from the proceeds of your book to the organizations work how do you manage uh that process um, I think there's a lot of authors that will be listening in that would like to do something for charity, but maybe don't know where to start. Can you talk to us a little bit yeah. about how that works? Yeah, I mean, what I did to start with was um, email different organizations. And then in fairness, the first five that responded, I said, well, yeah, you know, your names will be in the book. So 50% of the profits. It, actually, I'm a bit soft because with the first book, because I was so passionate about everything, I donated 100% of the profits. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I'd pocket the setup costs myself uh, just to give it a, a, a kick start. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I keep a really uh, strict Excel sheet on every book mm -hmm. about whether I sell them, you know, someone sends me an email and wants a signed copy or whether uh, it's Amazon royalties or whether I'm doing a book signing. And then that all gets put into a separate spreadsheet. And then normally January is the time that I will then say, well, okay, like the adventures of Bella and Emily can now give more money to the five organizations. 
And so you, you keep very strict records and you track every book that's sold. And then, and then do you present them with like a, a check at, at yep. that time in January? I tend, I tend to send it via PayPal for them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Cause so. a lot of them, it's easier with, with PayPal. So I send them an email and say, look, you know, this is my contribution. I hope, I, you know, hope it goes towards buying some winter hay or something like that for you. So. And I'm sure they're they're so grateful for that support. And you've raised quite a bit quite a bit of money for for these for these organizations. Okay. Uh, I I am also curious too. I believe when you when you donate like that, um, a port, that is tax deductible. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean I've got a really good accountant because I'm self-employed as well. I've got mm-hmm. a cleaning company that I've run for coming up 19 years. So she deals with all the accounts for me, which is you know absolutely brilliant. I would imagine in this situation, particularly because you you own your own business, having a yeah. having an accountant help you with these details is very very yeah. important because <laughs> it can get tricky. It can get tricky. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, because I keep the accounts, you know, so precise and up to date, you know, it's available for anyone to see when they they want to see, you know. So that's that's really great, and thank you for 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 doing that. Um, that's that's so giving and and loving and special, particularly for the animals that that need that sort of support. Uh, so I was wondering, do you have any stories that people would find interesting about your horsey or riding background? Okay, well, I started off um, working at a local riding school to get a free ride at the weekend. You know, in the old days, we used to jump on the pony, bring them up from the paddock in just a head collar and lead rope. But now, again, <laughs> health and safety probably wouldn't allow that. <laughs> from a very young age, I wanted to be a jockey. Uh, and I had a passion that, yeah, that's what I was going to do. Uh I moved to Newmarket at the age of 14 with my family and I started working at weekends at local racing stable. Uh, When I was 16, I then left school and got an apprenticeship with a top trainer called Bruce Hobbs. I think he was the youngest guy to ever win the Grand National. Mm. And at the time, I was the only girl in a yard of 55 lads. And I was like, oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then I got my amateur license ready to ride on the flat. And unfortunately, found out that I had something called Raynaud's disease, which meant I had no control over my hands. So I'd I'd be galloping on a horse and then I literally could not pull them up. Oh, goodness. Uh, so, you know, that, that was sort of my dream to be a jockey finished because I had to have like what they call a double sympathectomy, which they turn, go in your ribs and turn your nervous system upside down. And I was probably only 20 at the time. Uh, so, of course, then, you know, I had a family and, you know, sort of had horses and ponies. And then, uh, yeah, just determined to do the rescue from there on. So... Wow. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear that 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 dream didn't come to fruition, but you were like right there and and you did have the experience of being a a female jockey. um, And and then you turn that into giving back to animals in need, which is pretty incredible. What was it like being the only female on the guard? <laughs> I, I have to hear a little bit about this. Any, any yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, it was a bit bizarre to start with. Uh, but I must say that they actually treated me as if I was just one of the lads. Mm. Uh, my uh, my brother-in-law was actually working at the yard at uh, the same time as me and took me under his wing. And him and my sister have been happily married for 35 years. So, uh, yeah, 
I'm, you know, I even sort of like made good friends. Richard Dunwoody, I don't know whether you know him. He actually came and did uh, the summer uh, at the um, at Bruce Hobbs's and we got to be really good friends going back. We used to go around each other's houses and watch videos back then. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it, it was amazing. But, you know, I'm just one of, one of the lads, to be honest. Well, that, actually, that's really great to hear. I like to hear that they treated you like one of, you know, just one of the guys and yeah. they treated you with respect and, you know, because like all sorts of crazy stories can go through your head when you think about the only female on, uh, yeah. on a yard full of men. But I think, I think horses uh, in the mix, actually, there's a different kind of relationship I think people have around horses, whether you're male or female. I think it's like a uniting relationship and experience where it's really all about the animal would, would you yeah. agree with that oh definitely I mean I, I was just so lucky to serve my apprenticeship with such a wonderful guy you know we were the, he, he was the boss where we had to call him sir uh, we had to make sure our boots were polished before we turned up at the yard uh, we had to do a twist on the beds for the evening stables when the owners came round and we had to put sand down so timekeeping and what he taught me from that has followed me through in everything that I've done you know I don't like to be late I like to look smart make sure my boots are polished mm -hmm. I remember one time I was riding a two-year-old and uh, she she was called news I'm sure she was called news and she flipped her head back and gave me the biggest black eye oh, ever no. going and I, I blew my nose that that evening and my eye literally popped out so I went into work the next morning and said, oh, sir, I don't think I can ride out today because, look, I've got one eye. He said, but you've still got another eye, haven't you? That's fine. Go on. Off you go. So it's so all you grit. <laughs> you got some grit you out of tough. this. Yeah, yeah, definitely made you tough and the hardy and, yeah, get on with it. So That's great. And then, you know, I'm really curious, what did it feel like to sit astride a horse that was running full speed. What was that experience like? Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I used to look after a horse called Cardi Ha, and she finished third in the English Oaks over here. Mm -hmm. And from sitting on her was just like literally poetry. You'd be on there and it'd be, you knew you was on something special. Mm. Um, I then rescued <laughs> a, a racehorse uh, that was due to go for meat back then. I think I was only 17 and he was a crib biter. I'd mm. saved up my pocket money and I said, okay, let's go and buy you a horse, a racehorse. And we went to this farm. There was loads of different racehorses there. And I fell in love with this chestnut with a white blaze, four white socks standing there crib biting. And I said, oh, he looks a bit interesting. And he said, well, he, you know, he's off to the meat market. No one can do anything with him. And I was, I was then determined. So I think I paid £350 for him. Going back was quite, probably quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I bought him home. And, oh, he was a devil because he, he was terrified of men. So if a man went to go near him or I put a male jockey on him, he would just have him off in two seconds. It was like a Bronco thing. <laughs> so I had no option but to get on and ride him myself. And I remember taking up the gallops one day, thinking, right, we're going to do like a fur, five furlong gallop here. And no word of a lie, he took off with me and I had no brakes at all. And I looked to my right and there was a train going at 60 miles an hour. And the passengers were looking horrified at me as I was looking horrified at them. And I got to the end thinking, oh my God, we're going to go straight onto the road because I've got no brakes. And he did a massive circle 
and I was so relieved. And as I got off, I nearly fell to the ground because my legs were like jelly. Oh my goodness. So he was fast. He and, was fast. And he looked after you. He, he made sure to stop so you could, so you could yep. get off. And, and then, he lived to the age of 32 in the end. So, well, that's very, that's like a very uh, ripe old age for, for a horse. And, and you gave him a, another second life. And then yes. you mentioned crib biting. Can you explain to listeners who may not know what that means, what that is? And, and is, is that the reason why he was up? He was up for for meat unfortunately yeah I mean with crib biting it's a habit that horses have mainly from boredom could be anxiety or stuff like that and they need something to do so they they bite onto anything whether it's wood or metal and they just take a deep breath and hold their breath um and it's a horrible habit and a lot of people are not prepared to deal with it you know you can put like crib biting collars on which look awful for them mm-hmm. uh, but if you give them hopefully enough stimulation and you know daily exercise and things like that you can get over it I think it took probably a year and a half to two years for Wilby's crib biting to start but it can happen because if you don't stop the crib biting, it turns into wind sucking, which is even worse because they'll just stand there and suck in air for the sake of it, which is mm-hmm. quite dangerous to them. Yeah, which can lead to colic. And then exactly. I and I understand the reason why they do it is because it gives them kind of like a euphoric feeling. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. So so this is amazing. You you actually got him past that uh, bad habit. And you know, a lot of people say that once we call it cribbing in the yeah. U.S., but once a cribber, always a cribber. So that's really like great news that if you yeah. get enough stimulation and work in a job, yeah, um, they they can get past that behavior. I mean, I think as well today, there's so many different toys and gadgets you can put in the stables. You know, obviously, you know, if if they're outside, they've probably got more things to do, like eating grass and being stuck in a stable. So, you know, a lot of the time it could be a boredom thing. So mm-hmm. it's just finding out what is causing it and trying to, you know, try every avenue to solve it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's great. And that's the responsible thing to do when you have, yeah. have a horse that it has some behavioral issues. So I wanted to move a little bit uh, onto the, to your experience with uh, writing and marketing. I am curious, um, which do you prefer uh, self-publishing or traditional publishing? What, what, which, which did, route did you go with your books? Okay, this is a tricky one because initially I wrote a book called uh, Shelley Finds Her Dream Pony Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it. I had no experience of writing at all. And I went to a publishing company and they published it for me. Mm. That was probably six or seven years ago. Uh, I had a really bad review from an American lady uh, called Sue at Kidlip Reviews saying, this could have been the most terrific story going if it was written properly. Mm. So I was like, hmm, okay. So I emailed her and said, look, I'm really sorry, but I haven't written a book before. I don't know how to put a book, a book across. And then I explained to her that I'd always been involved with rescue. And she turned around and said to me, well, that's where you're going wrong. You need to write about your passion and what you've done with rescue. So you need to bring rescue into the story. Mm. So I said, but I don't know how to do that. And she said, she said but I'll teach you, do me a paragraph, send it over. I'll re-edit it and say, how does this look? And it might have taken probably two, two and a half years until I got the hang of what she was trying to get me to write from Emily Bean myself. 
and that's how it all started so unfortunately the publishing company that i used initially went into liquidation Uh, so i was thinking i can't afford to go down that route again so i then had to do obviously the self-publishing route so this is really interesting i have two questions uh coming out of what you just shared with us one i love how you turned um an unfavorable review into something productive that you could really use and 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 generate like a more amazing story and i love that this reviewer that maybe didn't leave you the best review in the world was willing to work with you like how incredible is is that she helped you create bella and emily into a story in a series that is doing so much good in the world and like a lot of people would have taken a bad review and like had to end their writing career i am like so impressed yeah can you talk a little bit about where how how you decided to reach out to her and, and ended up creating this beautiful partnership? Yeah, I, ju- I just emailed her and said, look, you know, my name's Michelle. I, I've written this book. I see you've put this review up. I can understand that, but I, I haven't written before. I don't know how to write. I, I want to write. Um, and then she came back and said, well, you know, now you've told me about the rescue. That is what we need to bring in because that's what you can you know, you need to get across to your reader the passion that you're feeling about what you're involved with. And I said, but I don't know how to do this. So we set off with one paragraph and she said, but how about if you wrote something like this? And mm. I was like, oh my God, that sounds so good. So literally chapter after chapter, she's called Sue Morris, absolutely my inspiration because without her coming back and giving me the help and advice and the support, which is is unbelievable, I wouldn't have continued. That is amazing. And and I imagine you two are now friends after yep. this experience. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so you almost gain like a uh, critique partner and you gain a friend and you also gained a series of books that are making a difference in the world from having the courage to reach out to someone that wasn't, you know, exactly positive to you. Yeah. Is- and I, th- I think that that's the thing, you know, there's probably going to be readers out there that may leave a bad review or they don't like your work. Well, you know, that's, that's up to them. You know, there's plenty of other people that mm-hmm. enjoy your story. Uh, you know, when I get emails from young readers saying what a difference, they feel like that Emily in the book, um, Steph, is another girl that I met at the book signing very early on. She was having, you know, different problems and uh, we were like this. And after the first book, she was like, when's the next coming out? And so I'm, well, Steph, I, I'm working. I, you know, you've got to write the next one. I want to know what happens. So she nagged, she was nagging. She kept nagging and <laughs> nagging. And, and from there, so really it's down to Steph Lewis that I've actually produced all these books because, uh, you know, she she was only 16 at the time or 15 at the time and she's been my little editor and chapter after chapter she reads oh yeah well you made a spelling mistake there on page 36 oh thanks Steph mm-hmm. so she's she's part of the books as well so different readers I feel like they now inspire me as well so that's wonderful and then my my second question based on what you were saying before is uh so you went with a traditional publisher for the first version I guess of, of yeah. what became your series and you said they they went into liquidation so how did you deal with that so like when they went into liquidation did they take the rights to your book with them could you get your book back like what happened there 
Well, I think with something like that, I'm still still trying to find out what actually happens with that because the thing is that the Kindle version is still available on Amazon, but mm -hmm. I don't know where the royalties for that book have actually gone. You wow. know, maybe it goes to the creditors. I don't know. So that's something I'm trying to deal with, you know, with, with KDP and Amazon to find out what goes on in a situation like that. Uh, but but no, you know, once the company has gone into liquidation, it doesn't it's not there anymore then in theory the only books that can be resold are books that people have bought original copies of and they want to resell on so you that's, basically just lose your money so that's a real predicament and so be, because of that situation you decided to go the independent publishing route with, yeah. with the next round of books because you have control and you know what happens and you don't have to worry about a publisher going out of business. I haven't, I haven't heard about this happening to someone before, but that's, that's something to really be aware of. I yeah. never thought of that before. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with KDP, obviously I can go on there every day, see how many copies have been sold and where I can then automatically log it. If I buy copies in directly from KDP and go out book signing, that gives me a higher margin, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to be able to give to my rescues, whereas the Amazon royalties are obviously low. So mm -hmm. by buying them in bulk, which obviously, you know, you have to put the money up front. I invest in that to go out and sell them so I can hire the, the money that I can donate to the rescues as well. And, that, and that's a great point too, yes. When you, when you buy direct from authors, authors do uh, make a little more money than they would um, from royalties from you know, a publisher or a platform like Amazon. So, um, so that, that's another way readers can support the authors that they love if they buy direct from, from the authors. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a great point to make. Um, so I'm wondering too, I mean, you've mentioned, uh, you, you go to events and, uh, you, you're very active in your community. What other ways do you reach, uh, your readers? How do you interact with your readers or attract new readers to your books? It's difficult because I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not over technical because I, I don't have too much time. So I tend to rely on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the Adventures of Bella and Emily have got their own Facebook page. Uh, that's got probably over 4,000 likers on it or followers. Uh, the original book, uh, Shelley Finds a Dream Pony Chelsea, has got over 40,000 followers. Oh, wow. Uh, that is, that's significant. Which is pretty good. But <laughs> yeah. again, because that book doesn't exist, that's not, uh, you know, all that good to me uh and then the inside the dog's minds probably got about 2700 followers so i keep active on those pages all the time occasionally boost posts and mm -hmm. things like that so um yeah twitter i try uh but i don't know what i'm doing but i keep tweeting <laughs> <laughs> well that that's great if you want any pointers on twitter i'm always happy to oh, thank you. help you out there um which it, it actually takes me back to your first book, uh, Shelley Finds a Dream Horse, because so are you going to pursue like any legal action in order because you do still own the copyright to the book and you yeah. were legally contracted to this traditional publisher, but they've since gone out of business. There has to be a way that you can own your book again. Um, yeah, I, I think the thing is, in theory, the book doesn't exist anymore <clears throat> uh, but also the thing is that people can still go on and order the kindle hmm. and i'm wondering i'm just wondering if maybe amazon will work with you to maybe take down 
the, yeah. the, the Kindle version, and then maybe you can re-release it under your own imprint as an independent book. Because I would imagine if a company goes out of business, you're no longer legally under contract to them. Yeah. And if you don't know where the money is going, then, then clearly there's, there's a glitch somewhere, you know? Yeah. So like and they are, yeah. I mean, Amazon, I did speak to them again uh, last week, uh, KDP as well, and they are looking into it and mm -hmm. trying to, like you say, the best move would be to get the book taken off completely. So, right. uh, and then if I wanted to re-release it at some point, but I don't because obviously it's all changed since the first book. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's really interesting. And then do do you manage the Facebook for that book or does somebody else or does somebody I, else? I do it all. Yeah. Uh, okay. So at least you've got control of the 40,000 followers that are, yeah. are then following that page. So you might be able yeah. to blend and cross promote. Eventually. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that's such an interesting story. I mean, those are, those are the kind of things that I, that I hope to shine a light on during this podcast. And thank you for sharing with us about that is there are some things you have to be aware of when you, when, yeah. you, when you become an author. And, and this is one of those situations that you don't ever think would happen. <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. And it's, it's something that you probably don't think is going to happen. But with the way that the world is changing, you know, nothing is safe and secure apart from something that you've got complete control of yourself so that is true and that and that is a reason why I really like the independent publishing route because I own the, the intellectual property I own all my intellectual property so you know so if, if one system for distribution closes I can easily take my books another route and I don't have to involve lawyers and I don't have to figure out you know what I can and cannot do because I yeah. get to say and and you you have that you have that opportunity now with with your series yeah. yeah I mean you know the ideal dream for me would be you know for my books to be made into like a tv series or something like that and then half you know 50% of the profits then would be so much it, so, it would be amazing to the rescues that I'm involved with to you know be able to give them some large amount of money that you know but who who knows never say never that's lovely. Dream big. And have you heard of the Equus Film Festival? That might be a great avenue for you to explore. They have a literary category where you can submit your books for what they call a winning award. But they, but it's also they bring in filmmakers from you know international all over the U.S. and it's an opportunity to actually network with people that are involved in the wow. equestrian uh, entertainment and film industry and books and artists and all these things. Um, I would highly recommend taking a look at that and thinking about submitting your, your books for a, or a winning award. Oh, I appreciate any sort of advice or support on going that way. There is a, 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 a well, a Facebook friend of mine lives in Brighton called Elaine Sturgis and mm -hmm. she's uh, right. It's different types of stories, but one of her books has got put forward for a TV series. So she decided to offer or to open a uh, a company called Books Office, which is even the UK, but open to authors all over the world. And again, what she's trying to do is get uh, self-published authors, getting producers and directors interested in actually turning their work into a TV series or a film. 
I love uh, that. And you That's can actually cool. go on to there on Books Office and sign up. It's all free. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I've had a couple of meetings in London, you know, so there's quite a lot of interest. You can uh, download your podcast, uh, movie deck, put that up there. And they're going to have different competitions where uh, people vote for what they would like to be seen uh, turned into a film or a TV series. So any authors out there, just go on to Books Office and have a look. That's amazing and cool. Like I think independent authors need that sort of representation to get in touch uh, with the entertainment industry. And it's Books Office, is that right? Books Office, that's right. And Elaine is, uh, you know, she's seen what it's like to be a self-published author, what you're up against. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously she's getting an offer for a TV series. So uh, she wanted to share that experience and, uh, you know, help other authors self-published authors uh you know to have a chance to if you're not in it you can't win it so that is wonderful information thank you for sharing that i'll make sure to include a link to that in the show notes and i would Brilliant. love to have you back on the show again should your uh, work with books office turn into the tv series of your dreams and, and oh. talk about that experience i think that would be a whole lot of fun and then you know what you're doing only you know continues to give back and i would love to see that happen for you and i, I wish you. you the best on that journey and let's do a follow-up on that i'd uh, love to and if you'd like a little more information about the equus film festival lisa dearson who is the founder of the equus film festival over here in the u.s she uh actually did a podcast with me and she's episode number four so you can go uh listen to her episode and get a little bit of details on on what the equus film festival is and what they do and how you can submit your book to the literature yeah so, i appreciate that thank you, you very much we're learning yes. we're learning I know. From yes Authors and I think, I, think that, I think that's the thing. I think all authors, you know, to me, I've got other authors that write pony books and, and we're, we're, we're friends. And to me, you know, other authors are not competition. You know, we're in, we're in this together. And if we don't support each other, then, then what's the point? You know, every book is written in a different way. No one is going to be able to write your books like you do because they're fantastic. <laughs> You've got your own writing, your way of writing, and so is every author. So, but we do need to support each other. I totally agree. And, 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 you know, building this community is so important to me. And, and, you know, my thing is Authors Unite, and I want us all to, to work together to put a spotlight on horse books because it's not niche. It's not niche. It's, uh, you know, there's so many horse lovers out there and not only, you know, they may involve horses, but there's lessons to learn from the, the leading male and female character. And you don't have to love horses to enjoy these stories. They just happen to have horses on them. Right. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really important. Um, which, you know, sort of leads me into the next question. You've, thank you for sharing so much cool information. This has been so fun. What is, uh, for you, the hardest thing about being an author? Uh, probably the marketing. Hmm. Having, having the time you know because I have lots of ideas and then I get a work phone call especially when I'm writing the books I'm thinking oh you know I've got someone calling me and I'm in the middle of a chapter it's it's really hard but trying to promote my books on social media is you know that is the hardest challenge I face to be honest mm -hmm. it, and it does take time and it is difficult when you know, you have a full-time business that you're running and, you know, you have responsibilities to, you know, your normal life. And then you get, you know, authors often have to squeeze in the time to actually write the books. And then you've got yeah. the whole other component of, of marketing and getting the word out. So I hope this podcast 
helps you get the word out even further. And, you know, maybe as a little piece of marketing that you don't have to worry about. (laughs) Thank you very much. Of course. And then on the flip side of that, what is the very best part of being an author for you? Oh, I think it's the, the messages and the emails that I get from my readers uh, makes it all worthwhile, uh, whether it's the, the pony book or whether it's the dog book and somebody's messaged me and said, you've really made me look at my dog a different way. I've changed the way I'm looking at my dog the same as the pony. Mm. Thank you. And, and to me, if I can send the rescue some money and I've got happy readers, then that's all I need, to be honest. That's so great. And then, you know, you know, we're getting towards the end of our time. And my final question for you is, what are you curious about right now? Like, what's next for you? What are you up to? What, you know, what are you going to do next? Well, I've got more books in my mind, but my sensible head has told me that I've got to uh, probably promote the eight books that I've got first before I carry on writing because I could, I literally could spend all day writing, but I know it's not practical. So I need to do more promoting and marketing in my books before I sit down and write number nine. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's really great. I mean, what's amazing is to start your marketing journey now with eight books in a series is actually really smart because what happens is readers, you know, they'll read your first book and they want more and they're excited. Like, just like you got the feedback from, from Stephanie, right? That's it. Like, yep. when's the next one? When's the next one? You know, now you have like eight, eight books deep and you have ideas for other books. So you can generate a lot of followers from those first eight books. And somehow I think what's next is you translate those 40,000 followers somehow from your original book into lovers of this series right and, and then yeah. own, own that audience so um it, it, this podcast actually has a lot of great marketing tips from other authors to, to help you out on that journey oh that would be great because you know well, although i've got the forty thousand followers on that page mm-hmm. i'm having trouble interacting with them because it's been quite a while since uh, that book was published uh, so again i haven't a clue how to i keep doing the odd post but I don't know how to get them back interested so if anyone's out there that could sort of help or advise I'd be so grateful yeah well and I, I also think that lovers of that original book would probably devour your new series I mean you could even just start out by saying hey you know I'm I, I'm so happy you're here and that you love my first book did you know I have yeah. this new series with with this character and I, you know, talk about these issues and there there's eight books for you to fall in love with or right now is a good time too because it's the holidays, you know, it's yeah, like exactly. these books I, and I, great I gifts. Think- yeah, I mean, I think the thing is with Facebook that when you've got sort of a page and you put a post up, it only reaches a certain amount of people unless you boost that post for Mm-hmm. which is going to cost you quite a lot of money. So to, to me, I have to watch what I spend out. Of course. Because to me, if I spend 10 or 20 pounds on advertising, it's 10 or 20 pounds that the rescue is not going to get. So it's like four bales of hay. So I, I tend to be a bit sort of careful on that sort of thing. Of course. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I'd be happy to brainstorm with you offline and we can talk about maybe some ideas for, for, you know, like for some marketing ideas. And then of course, you know, watch some of these um, podcasts because these, there are ideas for book marketing that I've never even heard of that some, some of our fellow authors are sharing. So 
that's what I'm hoping this, this will do is inspire conversation, inspire ideas, help authors market, help them reach the audiences that they're hoping to reach and help them make a difference. Like what you're doing with, with your books and the rescues, which is so important. Thank you. And yeah, I mean, I can't believe how quickly the time has flown. It's, it really went quickly. And, yeah. and and that's what I love is we're just having a conversation about the best topics on earth, horses and, and writing, you know, and yeah. getting to know each other. And I just really love that. So uh, Michelle, where can readers find you and your books? If, if they want okay. to know more. All my books are on Amazon. Uh, .co.uk and .com. Uh, the Adventures of Bella and Emily has got her own Facebook page, so you can go on there and like like her. You can obviously uh, message me or send me a private message through that page as well. So, and that's wonderful. And and you can buy the books directly from from Michelle, and the yep. link is on your website. Is that correct? And, yep. and you can get them autographed and, and signed by the author. Definitely. Yeah, I'd be honoured to. Wonderful. And uh, I will make sure to link to all of your um, channels and places people can find you in the books and the show notes. And I wanted to thank you so much for the gift of your time. And thank you for sharing such valuable information. And thank you for the work that you're doing to make a difference in uh, dog horses and people's lives uh, through your writing and your, your therapy projects and your rescue efforts so you have a wonderful day and thank you so much for being on the show michelle okay thank you it's been it, honestly it's been an honor absolute uh, honor so thank you oh of course and i i love supporting you and 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 having these conversations so have a wonderful day we'll talk yeah. soon take care bye bye thanks for joining us this week on the equestrian author spotlight podcast I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.